Welcome to episode 73 of Kyperian Commentary. I'm your host, Yuri Brito. And in these uncertain times, it's always uh, helpful to get a pastoral perspective on things. And I'm here with an acquaintance of mine, uh, Pastor Justin Borger from St. Paul's Presbyterian in Central Florida. Justin, how are you? Doing great, Yuri. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, good to hear from you, my brother. Uh, Justin, you've been in pastoral ministry for a few years now, and I know that uh, seminary had no courses on how to deal with pandemics. But uh, what what has been your sort of first reaction to this entire thing from a pastoral perspective? You didn't you didn't take that class on pastoring people through pandemics that RTS has been offering. That was the uh, elective that I missed. Yeah. No, man, this is this is wild and um, a steep learning curve for all of us. Um, I think in some ways, though, as weird and un- unusual as these circumstances are, in a lot of ways, what this experience forces us to do is go back to the basics, um, kind of an intense execution of the basics, um, mm-hmm. going back to the gospel itself, the, the royal announcement that God reigns, um, not just in general, he's not just in control of everything, but he reigns for us in, in his crucified and risen son, Jesus, um, who, well, um, when we read the gospels, the canonical gospels, it's clear that he, he took our diseases and bore our illnesses. He's dealt with the great mm. malady that there is and this uh global health crisis in a lot of ways just has kind of made the gospel come alive from that um dimension that's so really prominent when you when you think about the gospel that we we have a a savior who's a great physician i'm curious not only with uh, your your parishioners with your particular congregation but how do you gauge the evangelical reaction to this pandemic. So if I were to ask you, do you see the church now as a church that was prepared to handle this in, in, in the theological sense, or do you see the church in general from you know, your own experience, what you're seeing right now, completely unprepared and collapsing at something like this pandemic? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Love to Love to know what your thought on that is. Honestly, in a lot of ways, I'm keeping my head down and trying to focus on my wife, my kids, my immediate mm. flock here, um, trying to trying to avoid the temptation to get sucked too much into Facebook and Twitter and all that, although I don't know if I'm entirely succeeding. I think there's a lot of wonderful um, things that, that can be seen. And it's certainly encouraging just to think about the history of the church, that this is not the first pandemic that the church has faced. And I think there's been a lot of um, good reminders out there of some of the early plagues that the church faced and how that wasn't a time of taking a step back, but advancement for the gospel. And I think a a lot remains to be seen. Uh, It seems like there we kind of need to wait for some of the cloud to settle, but I see, um, mm-hmm. I see our people loving one, one another and, um, uh, grateful for our deacons trying to, uh, find ways to practically embody that. I know there's debates and 
Um, there's some kind of flamboyant headlines about pastors being arrested for holding services where social distancing mm -hmm. wasn't being practiced. So you could probably find examples of failure as well as examples of success. But I don't know if I have a comprehensive enough view to offer much accurate analysis. What, what do you think, Gary? You know, I think the, the answer, of course, is that uh, you can find examples of both. But I think overall, it seems that the old saying that uh, your theology sort of dictates your practice is true to a certain extent. The evangelical ethos is generally consumed with fear, uh, you know, apocalypticism, so to speak. And this is probably, uh, in some ways, fulfilling that inherent apocalypticism that you see in a lot of evangelicalism. So there's a real danger in that. And uh, I think, you know, I've said this before, but people who are overly anxious about everything will eventually get something right. And what they will do is they will use that anxiety to justify the next thousand events, you know? And so I think where we probably need to be most, most cautious as pastors, as we minister to these people is to acknowledge that there ought to be genuine concern. We don't walk naively, uh, but at the same time, the church is a church that is grounded in the hope of the resurrection. And as we near Holy Week and Easter Sunday, I think that's a, a really gigantic dimension of our communication to our people. Uh, just as a, as a quick follow-up, Justin, uh, what areas have arisen that you, um, that has sort of a alerted you even more to the role that you have as a, as a minister, if that question makes sense. Yeah, I'll take a stab at it. Um, when I was, my dad's a pastor, and when I was growing up, we... So is mine, by the way. We have that in common. Yeah. PKs. It's a whole different culture, isn't it? Can't, can't trust these guys. Uh, <laughs> when I was growing up, we, a uh, little, little church and outside of Chattanooga and Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia, we had a, a church janitor and he had a closet office um, and he was a bit of a cartoonist and he had drawn a, a cartoon of himself that I always stuck out in my mind. He had a big handlebar mustache and anyway, up, up above the door, um, there's a cartoon picture that he had drawn of himself and it said, nobody notices what I do until I don't do it. Mm. And um, I don't know, that's always stuck in my mind. I think when we can't do things that are normal, it forces us to take inventory of the foundational blessings of creation, of community, of mm. gathered worship, of the simplicity of the sacraments. And mm. um, this, I think, presents an opportunity for um, longing and lament and acknowledging all of the blessings that we ordinarily have and take for granted and to recognize that they're not things that we should be taking for granted, but they're gifts. Um, and I think that this experience of social distancing and isolation and absence and longing really is something that as pastors, we first of all, need to recognize ourselves, but then also find the language um, that is already there for us in scripture to give voice to um, that lament and um, deepen in our desires um, for things that are really basic. 
um, kind of going back to what I said at the beginning, just an intense yeah. execution of, I mean, isn't it going to be sweet whenever that Sunday comes when we finally get to come back together and um, I think it'll kind of be like walking through the wardrobe and seeing everything with brand new eyes. Oh, I like that. I like that analogy there. Very good. That's that's excellent. So we as uh, Presbyterian ministers sort of um, uh, use the word covenant probably as often as we say, um, how are you or hi. It's <laughs> a very common part of our vocabulary and it entails community. It entails life together. It's a relationship, a, a union, a unity we have with the triune God. How do we process the theology we hold so dear with the, the absence of its practicality? So how are you encouraging the people in the congregation who are really struggling? Uh, let's say the extrovert among them who are really struggling with not being together. What have been some words of comfort you've offered? Yeah. That's great. This is, I mean, this is really real. I, I'm personally an introvert. Um, and so time books, time away uh, is really refreshing in some ways um, to uh -huh. me personally. And I think it's really just important for those who are introverted to recognize not everybody's like that and um, to vocalize and acknowledge that. Um, there, there's still a lot that we can do, though. And we can always pick up the phone. We can call people. Um, we're, we're very carefully having um, some friends over for um, dinner tonight. I'm going to mm -hmm. practice prudence while we do that. But um, there's not an absolute ban on all gatherings. So there's some, right. some smaller intimate gatherings. And um, one, of the, one of the folks that we're having over, just two people, I know is a about as extroverted as they get. So um, I think we, I think we need to, we need to just practice kind of simple love um, and, and reach out to one another in the ways that are available. Um, and there's not some silver bullet there, but um, it's the kind of consideration and other orientation that just we're always commanded to do that becomes so much more needful in a, time of crisis. In terms of encouraging people, taking steps to do what you can do under the circumstances, I think goes a really long way. Mm. The missing element in a lot of these conversations is are the, um, the single moms and mm. the elderly who don't have the kind of luxuries that we have of, you know, I have five children, but being around a big family and enjoying this kind of family time. There's a lot of talk about families uh, you know, restoring domestic life and enjoying, but we don't talk much about um, the ones who don't have that kind of access. What, what kind of encouragement would you give the elderly saint who feels very alone at this time? Yeah, one of the things that I'm grateful for our elders are doing is that at St. Paul's, we divide the congregation up into what we call shepherding groups. And pretty much the first response of our leadership here was just to to call everyone in their shepherding group over, you know, 65 and make that direct contact over the phone at least. That that's one thing. What what we do need to tell people though who are lonely and alone and um, in that kind of circumstance um, is just to to remember um, that God is with us and we serve a God who has existed from all eternity in perfect fullness and joy and delight. 
and he is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And this is an opportunity for us to really bask in the reality of the great presence and blessing of God. And, you know, with the psalmist, we need to, we need to lament the absence of personal embodied fellowship that we have, but also celebrate the indestructible presence of God, which, you know, mm. where can we go that he's not with us? If we go mm. into the nursing home, he's there. If we go into the grave, he's there. The way that's articulated is in some, way, some sense execution dependent. That can be said very flippantly and without mm-hmm. much um, love or care. Um, but I think it does need to be articulated, and we do need to remind ourselves of that. Um, because our, at the end of the day, our hope is in, in the Lord. Uh, it's not even in each other. And um, how would you answer that question as we you know, come think about folks who are really seriously isolated right now. In a situation like this, the opportunities triple or quadruple for service. We need to be always on the alert and looking out for that. But in terms of how to, I think the things you've mentioned are very, very clear. We need to instruct and share and comfort these elderly saints, for example, and let them know that the gospel is there And it's there not just in this abstract sense, but it's there in a very tangible way. And I think this is a very sensitive time for ministers to reach out to them and let them know that the worship of heaven is present, even when God's people can't gather as one on Sunday mornings. And I think a lot of us, a lot of pastors who are not as tech savvy, (laughs) I think they're all getting an incredible lesson right now. But these are opportunities we have to, yeah, an opportunity we have to to give our elderly saints something they can grab a hold of through our our ministry and our teaching and our devotional life. Anyway, just as a an addition to your uh, to your excellent points there, Justin. Thanks for the question. A couple a couple final ones here, okay? Uh, a nerdy one and then a practical one because I know you're you're very gifted theologically. Uh, the nerdy question is: you talked about the basics. About going back to basics, if you had to choose one basic systematic theology category for our times, uh, what category would you choose to instruct the people if you had that one choice? Oh, that one's always easy for me. Just doctrine of God. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, that that really is the the place that we have to go back to God and all things in relation to God. And when I say God, I mean the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God existing in three persons. And um, in our liturgy, we say, lift up your hearts, and we say we lift Mm. up the Lord. And isn't that what we need? Um, Don't don't we need a God who um, has existed uh, from all eternity uh, in perfect fullness and joy and delight? Don't we need to be able to have a God to whom that we can carry our laments, um, but also know that he is um, perfect and unchangeable and so that we're not consumed? This is, this is a time more than anything else to be reminded of the reality of God. And um, when I, when I uh, was looking for a, a text to preach on kind of first 
just acknowledging the moment that we're in. Um, I turn to the end of First Peter 5, which is that great passage where it tells us to, to humble ourselves under God's almighty hand, um, because we know mm -hmm. at the right time he will exalt us. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's what's happening. I mean, I, I don't want to get into this speculation of specifically saying, what is God doing? But I think as the people of God, what we can say is that um, we're being humbled for a purpose that we might be exalted to glory in Christ. And um, the reality of uh, what God has done for his beloved in Christ um, is that we're, we're going through an experience of death and resurrection um, because we're in Christ. And um, that's what we have the opportunity to, to experience this week as we go through the rhythm, a, a different rhythm granted um, in isolation, but the rhythm of Holy Week where we, we move through the reality of what Christ suffered in his passion, but, but it ends with hope. It ends with resurrection it ends with the, the banishment of all plague and pestilence and, and life everlasting. And so if, if I had one word, I'd say this is an opportunity for us to dive deep into the simplicity of um, our theology proper. Mm, very good. Uh, Justin, uh, a final question here. As you look through the season, like as you said, we'd have no idea when it will end. It will be a very sweet time of reunion and communion. Um, what are some lessons you hope your people receive from this season, that they come out on the other side? What were the things that you would want them to learn from this? Yeah, going back to that, that idea of longing, I hope that, you know, there's one thing to know that we have um, all these things we take for granted, but this is an opportunity to experience a degree of longing and desire um, for one another's fellowship, for gathered worship, for coming to the, the Lord's Supper, um, where we're denied those things um, and to viscerally experience longing that is a is such an important part of biblical discipleship in a in a really powerful intense focused way and i hope that we will we won't um self-soothe on netflix and uh twitter and social media and distract ourselves and amuse ourselves to death it's just such an overwhelming temptation because of um the technology and culture that we're in right now um but that we'll we'll allow that um, deprivation, that longing that will we'll participate in that kind of fast that will enable us to feast with greater joy. I think, I think that's something that I'm personally hoping to learn. And I hope we'll, we'll also just be on guard um, against devouring each other in our homes <laughs> um, mm. that we'll learn word. to be close. Um, I think, was it Pascal or Kierkegaard who had the famous quote about all of man's problems springing from his inability to sit alone in a room? Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's something that that's dangerous about being alone and, and um, temptations come and maybe, maybe the Lord's teaching us to, to be quiet, to be still, to be alone and to resist the devil <laughs> um, mm -hmm. as we, as we go through this, this experience. Uh, certainly more. Those are some things that come to mind, though. 
Justin Borger is the senior pastor of St. Paul's Presbyterian in Orlando. I hope uh, that with your family this Sunday, you have a, a blessed Palm Sunday. It'll be a very strange and uh, a unique scenario for the Christian, but I think um, it is an opportunity to fast and to long with greater desire uh, for the Easter season that is before us. So thanks for joining us, brother. Thanks for your contribution. Thanks so much, Jerry.